Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We're going to look at another passage in a moment, but we'll concentrate just for now in Acts chapter 9 and verse 20 down to verse 31, where we have this interesting passage about what happened just after Saul's conversion. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul would later write, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now that was a radical change in, in the life of Saul of Tarsus, wasn't it? It certainly was, and this passage illustrates it for us, how dramatic it was, how sudden in its effects. The passage covers, actually, the first three years following Saul's conversion. In Luke's account here in the book of Acts, it's summed up in just a few verses, and perhaps in the phrase, after many days, um, in verse 23. So what was this new life in Christ like for the now-converted Saul of Tarsus? Well, I couldn't help thinking about it when I was reading this and preparing it. I couldn't help thinking about a wee song that we learned in children's meetings many years ago, which I'm sure you wouldn't sing in Temple Patrick, but um, nevertheless... Uh, historically, I want to tell you that I was taught it as a child. And it goes running over, running over. My cup's full and running over. If you want to put it in Ulster Scotch, you can. Uh, I heard a, a singing group doing that once as well. But there were other verses to that too. And one of the verses was read the Bible. And the third verse was telling others, telling others, my life's work is telling others. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as busy as can be. My life's work is telling others. Did you ever sing that when you were a child? Well, one of the first effects of conversion in Saul's life was that he began telling others straight away. In fact, I'm going to say and suggest to you that it was one of the evidences of his conversion, that he had received such a remarkable uh, grace from God that he couldn't keep the good news to himself at all. And that evidence continued right to the very end of his life. I would venture to say that for every truly converted person, There will be a desire in some way, in some measure, such as you are able to share the faith within the boundaries of our gifts and our limitations to others. So great has been the work of God and the work of grace in saving sinners that we want to tell others. An old-time evangelist many years ago in Belfast 
used to give his testimony as to what the Lord had done for him when he was saved. He had been a, previously a down-and-out alcoholic, a man who was on the brink of suicide on a couple of occasions, who had wandered one night into a wee hall and heard the gospel in East Belfast and was gloriously saved. And he used to say when he was speaking, the Lord brought me from a Johnny Walker to a gospel talker. Well, the Lord may not have brought you from a Johnny Walker or me, but he ought to have brought us to be a gospel talker. So let's see how this worked out in Paul's very early Christian experience. The first thing he started doing was telling others where the Lord had placed him. In Damascus was where he was. Remember, Saul has just been visited by Ananias. He has just received his sight back. He has received, probably from his fellow Christians, some food. He's had a meal. He's had friendship. He's had encouragement. I want you to notice what he does next. It says he was strengthened. He was with uh, the disciples, which are at Damascus, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ. Right away, he didn't hesitate. Do you know, there's a joy about the new birth, isn't there? There's something amazing about being born again. You just want to tell everyone. Uh, we should have that excitement in our salvation. And we should never let our reformed theology dull the excitement of being a Christian. We want to tell others. Somebody once likened this to the cry of a newborn baby. Whenever a baby's born, now I hasten to add, I've never witnessed a baby being born. I have two children, three grandchildren, and I wasn't present at the birth of any of them. For whenever I was in that position, when my wife was giving birth, it wasn't a done thing. Men sat outside in the waiting room and waited let the women get on with the work. But I'm told that when a baby is born nowadays, the husband has to be present. And he's sitting there at the side of the bed, and the wife is giving birth, and he's holding his hand, her hand, and he's saying, there, dear, there, dear. And the nurse is saying, push. And the husband's saying, don't push too hard, dear. You'll hurt yourself. And the baby eventually comes, and the midwife says, the baby's here. And there's a, a height of anticipation. It's a moment, a hiatus, a pause. And... There's this quietness and the mother looks up from the bed and they tell me that the midwife will sometimes hit the baby a wee smack in the bottom and the baby cries. And at that moment, there's joy fills the room. The baby is alive. He or she has made their very first sound in this. Mind you, later on they'll get fed up with the cry. But at that particular moment, that's all they want to hear is babies cry. So it is with new converts. It's a natural reaction to want to tell others. This new life in Christ has come. We're born again. We want to raise our voices and to cry. And of course, Paul has every right to preach in the synagogues. He He's got a right to tell others 
He has the qualifications to preach. He has his education under Gamaliel. He has letters of introduction from the Sanhedrin. He can go straight down to the synagogue and he can preach. It's his instant witness. Not only was it instant, it was impactful. Look at verse 21. All that heard him were amazed. He made an impact, didn't he? Do you know, I'd love to have been a fly on the synagogue wall when Saul came in that day to preach. The Jews of Damascus must have been expecting him. They'd have heard his reputation back in Jerusalem. They were gathered to hear a sermon from a fiery Pharisee stirring them up to go out into the streets and and the avenues and, and to round up the Christians and deliver them up to the police to be arrested and tortured and taken back to Jerusalem and executed. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall and to witness their faces when Saul stood up and began to preach the very opposite to what they expected, that Jesus is the Son of God who has died on the cross and rose for sinners. Was it shock? Was it disbelief? Was it puzzlement? Amazement. Is this the same man that we expected? An instant witness, an impactful witness, an instructive witness. Paul grew from this experience. In verse 22, it's interesting. It tells us that Paul increased the more in strength. He increased in strength as he witnessed. Do you know that's interesting? I think one of the reasons why Christians uh, are so weak and pathetic these days is because they have no witness. Because there's this tendency not to verbally witness for the Lord. I know that when I was a young Christian um, in Bangor, all those years ago, back in the early 70s, there was lots of opportunities to witness only within a few weeks of being of coming to faith in Christ, we were taken out into the streets to, to talk to people and to give out tracts. A group of young people, before the service on the Lord's Day evening, would have gone along the seafront. We'd have just been told, go and invite people to church. Go and invite people to church. Anybody at all. The church is just off the main, the main promenade. So go and invite people. There's plenty of people about Bangor, walking about, one night we found these two large um, black people. Oh, I'm politically correct these days. How do you, persons of colour, walking down the road eating fish and chips, and went over and said, Hey, do you fancy coming to church? Yeah, sure, we'll come to church. The problem was they brought their fish and chips with them, and they sat and ate the fish and chips at the back of the church, which really made everybody else hungry. But do you know they came? And the next night, they invited some folks from the church to go up. It turned out they were working in Harland and Wolf on a special project. Some of the folks from the church went up and sat with them the following evening, and they had Bible studies. And those two fellows started coming regularly to church. And I believe, I'm told, one of them may even have professed faith. You grow, strengthens your faith 
when you witness for the Lord. It's very practical. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Talking like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian, but part of our Christian response to what God has done in bringing us to new birth is if we want to tell others. Shout it out. Instant witness. Impactful witness. Instructive witness. I was really stuck with this one, so I made up a word. In complex witness. I don't know whether your word is in complex or not, but I, I do want you to notice that it's a very, very simple witness. Very, very simple. These are the early days of Paul's Christian life. Look at what he's preaching here. It's just basic doctrine. Look at its content. He's only saying that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is proving that this is. Christ, the Messiah, two very simple doctrinal statements. Do you know, you don't need to have profound theological knowledge to go out and tell people about the Lord Jesus. You just need to love him, to want to share the gospel. And it's extraordinarily effective. It won't be welcomed by everybody, but uh, it says here in verse 23 that after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Now, okay, what Luke has compressed into many days there is around three years, during which time Paul had spent time in Nabataean Arabia, which is just, when I saw Arabia in the Bible in, in, in Galatians, where he says, Paul says that he'd gone to, to Arabia, I was thinking of Saudi Arabia, but of course it wasn't that. It was more like Syria, Jordan, where, where he had gone. Telling others where he was. Saul was in Damascus. He told about his conversion to the people around him. Now, let's see the next sphere, area of witness. And that is that he told others in the church next thing that we see about Saul here is that he went to Jerusalem. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he is said to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Not only will the new convert want to tell others wherever the Lord has placed them, but there will come a time sooner or later when they need to tell the church. Maybe just the elders of the church. Um, sooner, hopefully, rather than later. Uh, they need to tell about their conversion. Um, hopefully such an elder will by that time have taken an interest in the new convert and will have encouraged them to speak about their newfound faith. For Saul, this encounter with the, the church, with the elders, with Peter, came three years after his conversion. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 for a wee moment for that other reading that I mentioned to you. Because when we're reading Saul's conversion, we have to read it in conjunction with Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. 
For I was neither, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. Now you can see the time frame there, can't you? You can see how the time frames worked out, how uh, Luke has compressed down into three years, that three years into a few verses for the sake of his account. He says there in verse 19, But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So Peter and James. Now logically, you would think that Paul would have gone straight to Jerusalem. That had been his home. That has been where he was Um, sent out from but that would hardly be wise considering his conversion the authorities would be enraged with him the Christians would be suspicious of him he went over to Nabataean Arabia to Jordan not modern Arabia and no doubt there he continued to preach the gospel um, the first fulfillment of his call to the Gentiles and then back to Damascus. Incidentally, that wasn't a huge journey because the kingdom of Arabia virtually bordered on the outside walls of Damascus. And he resumed preaching in the synagogues there and a plot to kill him gained support and he escaped and went to Jerusalem. And what happened there was suspicion. The Christians in the church, the disciples and the apostles were worried about that. They worried in case he was maybe only pretending to be one of them. They would have remembered his reputation, wondered whether this wasn't some new ploy to infiltrate the church, maybe remembering the writing of And the warning of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 13, where it says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? They're thinking, is this man Saul really converted, or is he dangerous? So suspicion. But after suspicion came sponsorship. There was a man there called Barnabas, verse 27. Barnabas took him and brought him up to the apostles and declared unto them how they had seen the Lord in the way. Barnabas is doing here what he always did, being an encouragement to others, helping Paul. And then in verse 29, we have suspicion, sponsorship, and speaking out. And again, witnessing, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus disputing against the Grecians. Now, three years have passed. Paul's witnessing again. He's going right back to the very place where he started, into a synagogue full of Greek-speaking Jews, people just like himself. Greek was his first language, where previously 
he would have been a member in good standing. And here now he's standing fearlessly in front of them, defending the faith, practicing Christian apologetics, debating and disputing. See how his understanding has grown. That simple message that he first preached has now become so profound and so insightful that he can dispute with the learned rabbis and the Jewish teachers and better them. Tell it out wherever you are that Jesus is Lord. Tell it out in the church. Tell the elders of the church. It may be a formal interview, maybe taking place prior to baptism, maybe upon application for church membership, sometimes just a friendly, encouraging brother like Barnabas, having a friendly chat with a new Christian and asking about his relationship with Jesus. About three months after I professed faith in Christ, a gentleman who lived across the road from the church called Cliff Lackey, a very decent man, said to me, will you come over to the house for a few minutes after the service tonight? I said, I surely will. Remember, I was only 16. So I went over and Cliff was there and Jean, his wife, and he says, come into the parlour. It's one of these houses with a wee parlour at the front. And I didn't sit down and the cup came in with tea and stuff biscuits and Cliff said to me after a few minutes of polite conversation I need to ask you a question are you saved I says I am he says tell me how you know that was a good way to start wasn't it tell me how you know I told him how I knew and what I knew must have satisfied him but he was a good friend. He took a young believer and helped that young believer to make a profession of faith, which he could then take to the church. Telling others is about telling others wherever you are. You've got to formally tell others in the church where you meet. They've got to know you're a Christian. And lastly, there's one more place where the new convert must witness. And it's the hardest place of all. I want you to look at an interesting wee verse in verse 30. When the brethren knew, well, they knew that the Jews were plotting to kill Saul. They brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him forth to Tarsus. Isn't that interesting? Because that's home. That's where Saul came from. He was Saul of Tarsus. He'd been brought up there. He was a Cilician Jew, brought up in Tarsus. He's going to have to go back home. And you can be absolutely sure that back home, he's going to have to do exactly the same thing as he was doing anywhere else. He had to tell the folks at home. And that can be difficult because at home we are under the most scrutiny. 
and our Christian faith is under the most scrutiny. For me, that was a nightmare. I'm sorry I'm talking about myself too much tonight, but because I'm talking about telling others and about conversion and about personal witness, I'm drawing just on my own experiences. But for me, that was a nightmare because I became a Christian when I was 16 and my father was extremely sarcastic, a very scathing man. He already had a pretty low opinion of me. me He would have said to me from time to time, what use are you to anybody? What use is a young fella who spends all his day with his nose buried in a book? You'll never get a trade. (laughs) I didn't even want a trade. But when I came home and told my parents that I had become a Christian, oh boy, that went down like a brick. And you know, I, from that day till, I suppose, till I got married, I suffered weekly taunts at Sunday dinner uh, about what had happened in church that morning and, and taunts about Bible passages and taunts about Christianity. But it had to be done. You have to take the stand to go home sometime and to tell others. And home really is the hardest place to witness, the place where we're known best, the place actually where we're more likely to let the Lord down. But Saul's already preached at Damascus. He's preached at Jerusalem. And when Jerusalem becomes too dangerous, the brethren knew what they must do. He has to go home and he has to live out his Christian faith before his family and his friends. And in verse 30, there's a huge change in the attitude of the people at Jerusalem. For the people there who had been so suspicious of Saul are recorded as being his brothers. Term of endearment. He's one of us. He's one of the family. He's a brother in Christ. And when a brother is in trouble, the other brethren rush to his aid. So, let's get excited about Jesus. Let's get excited about our faith. Let's remember what the Lord has done for us in our lives. Imagine and remember what it cost at Calvary for sinners like us to be converted, for us to be swept into God's kingdom. And remember it with some enthusiasm and excitement. And allow from time to time that enthusiasm to bubble up so that we tell others, Jesus is my Lord. Finally, some practical conclusions. You see, being a Christian brought Saul to his knees in more ways than one. Of course, out on the Damascus road, he fell to the ground. He didn't fall. He was pushed, I suppose, onto the ground. He came right onto the ground. The results of Paul's conversion 
was a huge change in his status in the eyes of his own people and his former supporters. So see the proud Pharisee now. Let's look at him um, uh, back here in, at the beginning of our reading. Um, where it says in verse 23, After many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Lovely wee vignette there in the middle of it all. Here's this proud Pharisee sneaking away in the middle of the night, being lowered down the city wall in a basket. What a change. Hmm? From the man who a few weeks beforehand had left Jerusalem, or a few years beforehand, had left Jerusalem with, a, with his own private police force marching to Damascus to imprison Christians is now being let down in a basket to escape from the Jews. And later on, writing to the Philippians, he would say, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but that I may win Christ. Becoming a Christian will mean humility. Being a disciple will be no different. Humility will be a characteristic of a true believer. When you come to Christ, you will lose the world, but you will gain everything in Jesus. Paul's desire to tell others didn't stop when his newfound faith became a little more, when he became a little more used to it. It didn't wane. It continued right throughout his life. Right to the end was near when he could say, I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. My life's work is telling others, since the Lord saved me, I'm as busy as can be. For my life's work is telling others. <laughs>